Hey there, history fans! Welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the Modern Age. I'm Lauren. <laughs> and I'm Melissa. And on today's episode, we are continuing the New Year's series on Matilda and Stephen. And since we did Matilda last week, you know that uh, this week is Stephen. Yay! If you enjoy this podcast and you like our episodes, please leave us a rate and review. It's how people find us, and it also lets us know how you feel about the podcast. Got any ideas? Email us, historyexplainsall at gmail.com, or... You can message it on our Instagram, Facebook, or Instagram or Facebook. History explains it all underscore podcast. It's also where we put posts such as Today in History, Archaeology in the News, and Photo Fridays. Don't forget to check those out too. Yay! <laughs> and on to today's topic. Woohoo! So we are now talking about Stephen. Stephen was born in the county of. I'm going to let you say it. <laughs> Blah. 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 Sounds like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Which is what you did the last time I brought up that. Yeah, not wrong. Uh, of blah in 1092, <clears throat> in 1092 or 1096. Exact date is unknown. In central France, to Count Stephen Henry and Adela. Adela was the daughter of William the Conqueror and sister to Henry I of England, Matilda's father. Count Stephen Henry was killed during the Battle of Ramla, or Ramala, while on crusade. He, that was on the next, uh, second crusade. On the original crusade crusade. that he went on, he was known as a coward. He had retreated, I guess, during a battle, is kind of the information that I found on that, and fled. And in order to redeem himself, he returned again on the, on another crusade, and that's where he died. Mm-hmm. So Stephen was very young when that happened, and he didn't. His father did not have much of a role in his life. Stephen, however, did have several siblings, including four brothers and a sister, as full siblings with a couple of half siblings. His eldest brother was William, who would have been the Count of Blois, Blois and Charles. <laughs> you want to say Blois, don't you? I just want to go Bloy. <laughs> I don't actually don't want to pronounce the S. But you don't pronounce the S. I know. You just said you want to call it Blois, and no, I don't. Uh. I just want to go Bloy. <laughs> and and Chart- Chartres? Chartres. Sar- also Chartres. no S. Oh, okay. Chartres. However, it was believed that William had a disability. Mental. A mental disability, and therefore Adela had the county's passed to her second eldest son, son Theobald. The third eldest brother was Otto, and he died during sometime during the teenage years of his life. And then, of course, came Stephen, and after Stephen was Henry of Blois. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to have so much fun the rest of this series. I'm just going to start calling him Stephen and Henry. Stephen and Henry, that's it. You're not getting boy, blah, whatever anymore. <laughs> Adela wanted Stephen to become a knight and for Henry to join the church. That's what she was promoting between her two children. Well, between the two children that didn't receive a county or title in that sense. Stephen did end up going to join Henry I, his uncle's court in England, who would actually end up joining him on the battlefield during the year 1112, whilst fighting for the Kingdom of Normandy against France. There, Stephen would also be knighted. Henry, Henry would knight him. And Henry I would go on to continue to support Stephen. He would be one of Stephen's biggest supporters throughout his life, actually. And vice versa. Yes. Until the turn. (laughs) Which comes later. Well, that was after Henry the First died anyway. I know, but I'm saying it's still a form of betrayal. I I really chopped that down to uh, uh, Stephen's younger brother, Henry, when he becomes the Bishop of Winchester. That's That's later. That's a whole separate shtick. (laughs) <laughs> and after the Battle of Tinkbray, Tinkbray, Tishbury, 
T-I-N-C-H-E-B-R-A-Y? Tish birth. Tish birth. I got a tish birth. I don't know. We'll go with whatever you want. We, we've already said Battle of Tishbrick. We'll go with that. In 1106, Henry took the county of Mortain and the honor of I from two nobles. And he would actually later bestow both of these honors upon Stephen. Uh, they would not come with the vast lands that they originally had, but the titles would still hold quite a bit of significance, as well as some of the lands. It just wasn't the whole vast amount that was originally with those titles. Stephen would also later receive the honor of Lancaster. And with the honor of Lancaster, he would receive lands in Alencon in the southern part of Normandy from Henry I. So he, he was quite well loved by his uncle. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. However, Stephen would not be able to actually end up retaining the lands of Alencon as the people would rebel and they actually looked to Folk Fourth, Folk the Fourth, the Count of Anjou at the time. Jeffrey's father. Yes. Yes. And in the following battles for Alencon, uh, Theobald, his brother who held the county of Bois and Chartres, would actually get their butts resoundingly beaten. <laughs> and they would end up losing the land to Folk. Looking at it, so as Henry was Stephen's uncle and Matilda's father, this would make Matilda and Stephen first cousins. Mm-hmm. And he would go on and marry another Matilda. Not his cousin Matilda, but a different Matilda. There's also daughters named Matilda. There's just Matildas and Henrys all over this place. I mean, let, let, let's talk about how many Anne's, Catherine's, and... But that's later on. Yeah, I'm talking this. I'm, I'm just saying during specific time periods, names were used over and over and over again amongst women, and then the names just keep stretching for periods of time amongst men. Henry, William, uh, John, John. These names are constantly used. They're still used today, even amongst royalty. So. Oh, and no, then no, just amongst people. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about in the royal lines. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it's just a constant repeat because when we talk about Mary of Scotland there's four different Marys of Scotland you just gotta talk about the time period right specifically but in this case um where was I talking about so he married a Matilda which was actually Matilda of Boulogne am I pronouncing that right is it Boulogne <laughs> it's Boulogne but Boulogne. like water Boulogne blah, blah, blah. oh my gosh Boulogne is not Boulogne. 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 Okay. Matilda Boulogne. And through oh, this... Wait, man, you preferred to go Boulogne. <laughs> I, I could call it Boulogne. <laughs> so inappropriate. Uh, through this marriage, Stephen gained quite a bit of wealth and property, specifically in Kent and Boulogne. And Matilda was the daughter of Eustace III, and Mary of Scotland, and when I say Mary of Scotland, I do not mean the Mary of Scotland that was beheaded by Elizabeth the First. Well, clearly this is 400 years before. Well, let's just make sure that we're on the same page here with everybody else who listens to. This is a Mary of Scotland from several year, hundred years before that particular Mary of Scotland that we know of as the most famous. Mm-hmm. And Eustace, the father of Matilda, was the Count of Boulogne. And Stephen was originally, just an extra little tidbit here on him, Stephen was originally meant to travel with his cousin, uh, Henry's son, William Adeline. The heir. The heir on the white ship, which would end up resulting in the disaster of the white ship sinking. However, are you ready to hear why he didn't go? Oh, I know why, but you tell the people. Oh, yeah, you ready? <laughs> yeah. Hey, he you had your... a bout of diarrhea. Which was likely brought on by his excessive binge drinking during the trip prior to setting sail. And therefore, he did not board the white ship, and therefore, it he did not sink or pass on, die with the, with the sinking of the ship. Correct. 
So I'm going to get into the white ship disaster just a brief minute just to give you some of that because it does play into the succession of the throne from the heir of Henry I to Stephen taking over. So it took place on November 25th of 1120 and the white ship was actually a very newly refitted sailing ship that was captained by Thomas Fitzstephen who whose I believe father or grandfather had actually served alongside William the Conqueror uh, with one of his ships and captained some of those. And when Henry I decided to return to England via Normandy, or sorry, from Normandy, Thomas offered his ship to the king as his way of passage. However, Henry had already made plans for his return, but given the offer of this very large sailing ship, Henry did offer his entourage the use of the ship uh, by Captain Thomas. And this entourage included many of Henry's nobles, but also his legitimate son, William, two illegitimate children, Richard of Lincoln and Mary Fitzroy, who was also the Countess of Kirsch, and a variety of number, number of nobles. Now, there is an account from the time by Orderic Vitalis that there was, as we mentioned, very much merriment and drinking prior to the setting of sails of the ship, causing some of the 300 intended passengers to disembark before it's left port, which included Stephen of Blois. Vitalis's account also states that the drunken nobles insisted that the captain do whatever he could to overpower and sail past the king's ship, which was already ahead of them. The point essentially is to have a race with the king's ship to see who can get to England first through the English Channel, which is notorious for shipwrecks. Oh, yeah. Right. That's not the smartest thing you can do. No, this is what drunken people do. So drunken so drunken royalty essentially overpowered the captain of the ship and told him to overpower and take, uh, uh, overtake the king's ship in this race across the channel. So not smart. Yeah, but what do you, what, you can't tell the heir to the throne who's drunk. No, I mean, you can't tell him no in any circumstance, so, yeah. Doesn't make it smart. <laughs> no. Now, although the ship was considered very fast and obviously just had recently been outfitted with new constructions, it wasn't a match for the submerged rocks just below the surface and the port, which is the English Channel kind of right there. And as the ship was navigating its way out of port, it struck some of these submerged rocks, which you can't always see, causing the ship to capsize. Vitalis writes that the heir William was actually able to make it into a smaller ship for safety, but upon hearing the cries of his half-sister Matilda, who was also there, he returned to help her and others to essentially try to get them to safety. But as he did, his boat was swarmed with the other nobles and passengers trying to get on it so that they didn't drown. And this unfortunately caused his smaller ship to also capsize causing everybody to drown, including William. And at the end of his telling of the story, the chronicler actually recalls that the captain, upon being informed that the prince had drowned due to the capsizing, allowed himself to sink into the channel and drown rather than having to face the king. And the only known survivor of the wreck was a butcher from Rouen named Farrell. <laughs> Do we know how he survived? He actually clung to one of the rocks that were was just below the surface. He had actually clung onto it while everyone else drowned. It must have been a really strong current, too. Yeah. It is the English Channel. I think they do usually tend to have some strong currents. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sound good. Yeah. Now, after the unfortunate death of the heir William, Henry was left with very little in terms of successors. He didn't have any additional male, legitimate male heirs. Now, he did have his daughter, who was now Empress Matilda, and at the time of the White Ship disaster in 1120, she had actually been remarried to Geoffrey of Anjou. The marriage, though, was very unpopular with the English nobles because they saw Geoffrey as an enemy to their Norman roots because these are Norman English nobles. And when Henry's died, his nephew, Stephen, as we're going to continue to talk about, stepped in and claimed the throne despite the English nobles' having on more than one occasion swearing fealty to Matilda during 
Henry I's reign. But Stephen was even one of those nobles when he swore oath to his king in 1127 to uphold his choice that Matilda take over. So to continue with Stephen's story, as we mentioned, he married Matilda of Boulogne in 1125. And as we also mentioned, she's the daughter of Eustace III of Boulogne. And her mother is the daughter of King Malcolm III of Scotland. Through Matilda's maternal grandmother, she could actually trace her lineage to the Anglo-Saxon kings of England, much like Empress Matilda could trace her lineage back to Alfred the Great, the Anglo-Saxon king. So, whoop, whoop. right, right. Ooh, very well established. I mean, if you, if you don't know who that is, highly recommend you look them up. Oh, Alfred the Great's amazing. Hence it's, it's the a, great. Yeah, well, he's, it's also a great story to read about even even if you get a touch. Oh, I also like Ethel Reddy Unready. Yeah. Which isn't exactly quite like it sounds, but it's a very fun name. That one's just fun. <laughs> right. So together, Stephen and Matilda had five children, Baldwin, Matilda, Eustace, William, and Marie. And unfortunately, both Baldwin and Matilda died before making it to adulthood, leaving Eustace, William, and Marie to inherit their family lands and titles. Eustace, the eldest into adulthood, was born in around 1130 and took the title of Count of Boulogne in 1146, and he would remain the Count of Boulogne until his death in 1143. Now, during the time of the Anarchy, which is the title of the period of Stephen and Matilda, um, Empress Matilda fighting for the throne, Eustace actually would fight frequently alongside his father and his, even his brother-in-law, King Louis VII, who was working fervently against Empress Matilda and her husband, Geoffrey. Yeah, he didn't really like them. No. Now, when Eustace's father, Stephen, became king of England, they also tried to adopt the French custom of crowning the successor whilst the current ruler was still alive, which would obviously leave no doubt as to who would succeed the king when he actually did die. This didn't happen in England, and it was actually brought up to the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, but the request was denied, mostly because they don't think the English wanted to adopt French customs, because it's the French versus the English, as always. So Stephen and Eustace, very interestingly, very angered at this because wanting Eustace to be his successor, the not only were angry about it, but also took the denial very personally and actually attempted to change the minds of the head clergy in England by not only confining them, but also yeah. through strong coercion tried to change their minds. But that too also failed. Eustace, unfortunately uh, and um, unexpectedly, died in August of 1153. Some say it was from a broken heart. Others say that he was struck down by God's wrath over his pillaging of many churches. Yeah. I might go with the second one. Probably. Now, their second son, William, was born in 1137 and took over as a Count of Boulogne after Eustace's death in 1153. And he would hold that title himself until October of 1159 when he died. And in 1148, he married a woman named Isabel de Warren, Countess of Surrey, which, if you listen to last week's episode, that name might sound a little familiar. Unfortunately, William and Isabel had no children. And when Eustace died, uh, unfortunately, Stephen decided he was going to pass over William as the next heir to the English throne because he had already been in talks with treaties with Henry, the, uh, Henry Matilda's son to take over the throne and to become Henry II. And that was actually part of a treaty called the Treaty of Wallingford, which more or less successfully ended the anarchy after 18 years, which we'll get into in the next couple of episodes. After Stephen died in 1154, Henry became Henry II and graciously allowed William of Bois to keep his earldom in Surrey per his wife, who he was married to. However, it seemed that there was actually a plot that may have been uh, 
that could have been even successful, but there was an uncovered plot in 1154, the same year that Henry took the throne, to have him assassinated. Mm. And that plan was using Flemish mercenaries who would approach Henry in Canterbury and then assassinate him on the spot. And it's actually believed that either it was divulged that William had knowledge of it, or maybe even personally hired the mercenaries to take out the new king. Mm -hmm. That's not good for him. No. And as soon as Henry found out, he sailed out of Canterbury and then went uh, straight across the channel into Normandy. William died in 1159, and his widow, Isabel, would later become engaged to Henry II's younger brother, William, in 1162. If you remember, we mentioned it last week, that William wanted to marry Isabel, but they couldn't get the Archbishop of Canterbury to bless the union because of, like, I think it's called degrees of affinity, their, their relation to each other was too close for a blood relation to get married. That Archbishop of Canterbury was none other than Thomas Beckett, yeah. which is, again, believed to have been one of the sparks, if not the spark, to uh, start the feud between Henry II and Thomas Beckett before Thomas Beckett was murdered by knights of Henry. And if you remember, again, on last week's episode, when we talked about Henry's younger brother, William, William had died of potentially a broken heart because of this Thomas Beckett not allowing him to marry Isabel. And when Thomas Beckett was murdered, the person who gave him the fatal blow was a knight of Williams. Remember the, this is for my Lord, I kill thee thing. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same, same, same thing here. And Isabel would eventually marry Hamlin of Anjou, the half-brother of King Henry II. Kind of sad, but at the same time, necessary. <laughs> yeah. Now, their last legitimate child was Marie, and she was born in 1136. And she took being, this is kind of an interesting one. She took up becoming a novice at the Priory of Lily Church, and then eventually became a nun at Romsey Abbey, and then would become the abbess of Romsey in 1155. When her brother William died in 1159, she then was next in line to acquire the position of Countess of Boulogne. The following year, after she had become Countess, she was actually abducted and then forced into a marriage with a man named Matthew of Alsace, who would then become the new Count of Boulogne. Ew. They were, he, he had essentially kidnapped and forced her into a marriage. They had two daughters, and he continued to be the Count of Boulogne. The issue of her abduction was obviously brought up with the Pope because it was under duress and not a sanctioned marriage with Pope Alexander III, and the marriage was officially annulled in 1170. Oh. It took nearly 10 years. Ew! Sorry. Yeah. This is gross. Yeah, and ten, nearly 10 years for that marriage to be annulled in the time that they had two children. After the annulment, she left the family and became a Benedictine nun and died on July 25th of 1182. Her ex-husband retained the title of Count of Boulogne, which would then be passed on to her daughters, Ida and also Matilda. I think that's the worst. That's just, yeah, gross. Very gross. Oh, my turn. We're back to me. As we were, I'm, I'm really just going to be doing a little bit of reiteration for the first, for the time being. But... When Henry I had no legitimate male heirs after his son died in the White Ship disaster, he had his barons, including Stephen, swear loyalty to his daughter Matilda. Of course, people did not like the idea of a female ruler back then either. And of course, this is also a time when it wasn't a guarantee that your heir would be king. Because <laughs> it was also sometimes a vote, depending on... Oh, sure. But also in this case, Matilda was not popular with the English Norman nobles. Stephen was incredibly popular Oh, with I was about to get to that. Well, no, go ahead. I was just yeah. letting the audience yeah, yeah. know. And not only that, Stephen was also the richest baron in England at the time. Yeah. So when Henry I died in December 11, 1135, Stephen quickly made his move, took the throne, got himself crowned, 
And he was actually crowned at Westminster Abbey on December 26, 1135. Oh, I've got a whole section of how that happened. Would you like to uh, go go ahead and... Oh, sure, one? sure. Because it, it's kind of interesting. So it all took about roughly two weeks in total. Yeah. So as we mentioned, he was the second wealthiest landowner as soon as King Henry I died. But... As you mentioned, he was also very popular with the English Mormon nobles. He was considered to be very easygoing and actually kind of modest. And the type of person, as he was described, to be happy to sit with people and just sit and laugh and eat, regardless of whether you are a noble or a servant. Additionally, he was also considered to be very pious, constantly observing both religious holidays and devoting his time and money to the church which we'll get into in a bit too with his brother, Henry. But when he heard of the death of Henry I, he happened to be in Boulogne, probably with his wife, which actually of the, the, the men who claimed that they had a right to the throne, he was the closest one to England and immediately set off for London. And it actually seems that he was able to reach his estates in, in London and around December 8th. And then from there, began to fight for the throne by seizing local lands and power. And again, being very well liked by the nobles and the citizens of London, they proclaimed Stephen the new king and gave him all of his support. And there is a general rule when it comes to English succession, whether, you know, especially if you're fighting for the crown, you take London, you take the crown. Not only that, they gave him keys to the... Uh coffers and everything yeah absolutely yeah now with the support of his younger brother henry as i keep mentioning who at the time was now the bishop bishop of winchester stephen was also able to secure the throne because of stephen's help with securing his support with the local clergy which you absolutely needed because the, with, the oh, clergy, yeah. with the clergy you get usually the pope's support too and you want you need that yeah you do yeah so he gets into London by December 8th. By December 15th, he has officiated an agreement. I'm sorry, his younger brother, Henry, officiated an agreement publicly that Stephen would grant extensive freedoms and liberties to the church in return for papal support for his claim to the throne. And Henry is also able to persuade Henry I's steward, a man named Hugh Big, and I think it's by God, B-I-G-O-D, I think it's by God, that the king supposedly recanted his decision about Matilda becoming his successor upon his deathbed. Likely did not happen. Now, with all of this, Stephen was finally crowned king on the 22nd. So within roughly two weeks, he made it to England first, took London, and then took the crown, and then had all the support of the church. That would make sense. That's a very quick turnover. But not unsurprising either at the time. No. So, oh, are you keeping going or? Uh, no, no. I, I'm, okay. I've got all my notes are past the coronation. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we were saying, Stephen had support. Again, people saw Matilda as a traitor in a sense, even though it really wasn't her choice. Well, yeah, she was married to Jeffrey, and they didn't like Jeffrey. Yeah. And that really wasn't her choice either. And therefore, the civil war for the English throne began. However, you also have to remember, while the majority of people supported Stephen, there were people and nobles who supported Matilda. Like, like Scotland. Scotland, which was actually another uncle of hers. King, the King of Scotland was another uncle, which I will get into in a little bit, and her half-brother, Robert. Oh, Robert Gloucester. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a, he's a big major player in the end. Oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. Ready for this? Well, actually, the next episodes are going to be even more fun, because then we're going to get into more detail about it. Yeah. During the Civil War and the beginning of Stephen's reign, there were many of the nobility that would kind of go back and forth. Matilda, Stephen, Stephen, Matilda, Matilda, Stephen. And they would continue to do... Well, they would jump that. back and forth between their loyalties, but you also had Scotland invading from the north. I've not done. Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't done it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I promise. I promise I'm getting there. <laughs> Give me a second. Uh, <laughs> and was many of the nobilities would constantly switch, which included the Earl of Gloucester. Robert? Yeah, he really? originally supported Stephen and then switched to Matilda. Mm. And then he stuck with Matilda, actually. He's one of the ones that only went once. Uh, but because of this constant back and forth at the time in their support and their loyalties, Stephen became rather paranoid. Understandably so. Yeah. And he ended up arresting Roger, the Bishop of Salisbury, and oh, a couple of other people because yeah. he, he got it in his head that they were plotting treason. Which they probably were. I don't know at this point. Well, if, if I remember correctly, I have made my notes in a little bit, but if I remember correctly, when his brother Henry had announced his support for his brother Stephen to take the throne, in in an arrangement that they had that he would Stephen would grant the church a fair amount of freedom from the, the state the, the state and it just generally from the crown to have their own autonomy. They tried to take it a little too far and tried to uh, take money that they weren't supposed to have, take power they weren't supposed to have, and things like it, like that. If I remember correctly, wonder they not. Yeah. Especially at this time and about for the next 300 years? No, no. Don't tell me about all that stuff that Martin Luther didn't like when he nailed those uh, theses to the door of all about the yeah. the church taking so much money. The worms, you mean? I think so. The Edict of Worms? Yeah. But I'm also just thinking that, particularly in the mid to late medieval period. Well, you're also talking about the beginning of, of um, Lutheranism as a religion at that time. Well, right, but I'm also just referring to the time of the church, like, the, the, the church acquiring a ton of money, mostly because they're like, if you want your sins to be resolved or forgiven, give us money. I forget what that's called. Absolution? No. Oh, I don't know. Well, it, technically, yes. If you want absolution, you give us money. There's a term for that, and I can't remember off the top of my head. But that's how the church made a ton of their money, especially in the late medieval period. The, the monasteries and, and abbeys were some of the richest places oh, with know. the most amount of money outside of the king. And I think this is about the beginnings of that. Oh, I know. Believe me. Religion minor, lady. <laughs> Did all that shtick. Okay. So, not only that, Stephen had pro other problems outside of this particular civil war, or the anarchy, as we like to call it. There were several out, uh, attacks from the borders. All borders. Not there yet. Okay. We're going to talk about Wales. In a minute. Okay. So, one of the people that was causing trouble for Stephen was, of course... Her husband, Matilda's husband, Geoffrey of Anjou. As Stephen had taken control of Normandy, temporarily, it would turn out, and Geoffrey would end up invading, and he would be winning, and due to the anarchy issue, Stephen would have to quietly back out. Yes. Because he just couldn't keep up the fight in too, in too many locations, because not only was this fight going on, you have the anarchy going on in England, and then, which, which is a lot of rebellions, and then you have the Normandy with Geoffrey of Anjou. But then, you have David I of Scotland. And he's, <laughs> David I of Scotland began attacking Northumbria, Lancashire, Lancashire, and Yorkshire, which is in the north of England. And by the way, when we said the King of Scotland, that was Matilda's uncle, David the First is who we were we were discussing. I think that would also make him, Steve, him Stephen's uncle too, right? Her cousin? No, it would make him Stephen's uncle unless it was through Matilda's mother. Mm. We don't know which side David is from. Probably, I, probably her mother's side. I think it's through her mother, which would make them not really related. Stephen's like second related. Cousin or something. Yeah, Stephen's related through Henry. Oh, yeah. To Matilda, so um, 
Where was it? Okay. And in 1146, this is, these are Welsh names. I got gotcha. you. Show me, show me, show me. You mean. Cadell Opgruffet. Cadell. What are you looking at? C-A-D-E-L-O. I'm not looking at your notes. I've okay. got Owen and Griffith. Griffith and Meredith. Meredith. Okay. I'll so just let Cadell you do Cadell Opgruffet and Meredith. I'll and then I the also had team. Owen, Gwyneth, and Gwyneth up Reese. Uh, that one I didn't find, but I did find these two. They Wish. were fighting in Wales and extending their own territories within Western Wales, in particular. Yeah, so in a sense, essentially, Stephen was fighting, and Matilda eventually made her way into England. So he was fighting her off on English, English soil. Geoffrey is fighting with him on the rebellions in Normandy. David from uh, David the First of Scotland is invading from the north, and he's fighting off Welsh rebellions on the east, oh, on the yeah. west. I'm sorry, on the west. So he's pretty much fighting on all fronts. Basically, there is no break for Stephen at all. No, and essentially, all of this happened just days after his coronation, because oh. everyone was still trying to invade and claim the well, except for the Welsh. I think the Welsh, the Welsh would really stayed in Wales in that sense. Well, the Welsh didn't have a claim to the throne. They just didn't want to be controlled by England. Yeah. As is always. Who would? I get it. No. <laughs> I just love Wales. Uh, but ooh, that's basically what's going on as like a basic term. I don't want to go into too much detail because I do want to be able to really talk about it in the next couple of episodes. But so when, when Stephen took over the throne and the anarchy began, it was noticed that Stephen was truly no no King Henry I. He was nothing like a couple in that sense. He was not known for taking a stand or being able to make difficult decisions or hard decisions. He was never decisive. He was just wishy-washy in that sense, actually. And by being that way, this allowed the nobility to take advantage of him. Hence the back and forth, this and that, with the loyalty back to Matilda, away from Matilda, back to Stephen, back to Matilda. Build castles in places that they didn't get permission for. And it, it just didn't bode well. So Stephen would respond to the building of new castles and being very unkind earls and barons by appointing new earls into the court, which would then upset the old earls in the court. <laughs> and so it created this very non-meshing dynamic. There was in, certainly in an internal well. rift. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I know that you said you had something more to add, so. Oh, I've got a bit. Let's see. La, 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 la. So, uh, as we mentioned, obviously he had trouble with the Scots coming down north. And uh, generally, between the years of 1136 to 1137, he had to try to put out rebellions in Wales. And uh, that's not always an easy thing to do because the Welsh like to rebel against England. Quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, we could have several episodes just on that alone. That'd be fun. So we much Welsh. Do, we could do a Welsh rebellion series in a, in a bit. Ooh, that'd be fun. As much as he attempted to put down the rebellions in Wales, much like in his attempt to put down rebellions with the Scots and Northumbria and Cambria, um, he was not really successful in that, and that he and he he made an arrangement with David of Scotland that Scotland would take certain portions of the north of England, and and that David would no longer invade and see Stephen as the rightful heir to the English throne. When it came to Wales, Stephen had to literally just, uh, quote, bow out of Wales, as was written by historian David Crouch. 
who has written quite a lot about Stephen. And as we mentioned, of course, if he didn't have enough local troubles for the throne, Stephen soon, in the late 1130s, had to start fighting against Matilda and Joffrey. Now you got me saying Joffrey. Geoffrey, who attempted to invade in 1136, his army eventually had split in half due to this disrest where the Norman section left Stephen's army, leaving Stephen to have to give up his campaign against Geoffrey, causing him to enter into a peace treaty with Geoffrey for at least for a time being. By 1138, Stephen had begun to run out of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, Henry I had dried up the coffers quite well himself. Yes, but there was still a fair amount that Stephen could dip into. But Stephen, not only using a fair amount of the money for his campaigns to keep his throne, also had a much more lavish court than Henry had. Yes. In addition to that, at the same time, he started to run out of money. Geoffrey and Matilda began an another invasion, breaking the truce. And again, that same year, David of Scotland decided he was going to come back, break his treaty, invade from the north, and declare his support for Empress Matilda. So the treaties and the, the truces did not last long. And focusing him on in 1136, he was focusing his campaign on solely defending England when he decided he was going to go into Wales to fight for that land and fight up the rebels who were still fighting him, he sent his wife, Matilda of Boulogne, to Kent to reclaim Dover. And a regiment of knights was then sent off to fight King David in the north. And if Stephen's knights were able to keep David's forces away, again, Stephen had to retreat from Wales and left them by themselves. And uh, a couple of years later, a couple of years later, a few months later, <laughs> um, uh, Queen Matilda was able to regain control over Dover. And as soon as he had secured the fighting in England, he immediately turned his attention to fighting against Matilda's oncoming army. And by oncoming, I mean she made it across the channel and took land and went into Sussex and was welcomed into Sussex and began fighting on English soil for her claim to the throne. And, and as Lauren was mentioning, in order to keep his support in England, he increased the earldoms throughout England, particularly to people, to men, that he considered to be very loyal to him, also giving them various honors for their defense of their king. And this gave a lot of land and control to the Beaumont twins and their kin. In addition, he decided he was going to remove several bishops from their position, talking about the, the clergy issue, and because it seemed like they wanted to increase, apparently the clergy had their own military. I was a little confused on that. But that wouldn't that. It, I, it wouldn't surprise me. I think they had their own, but like in the way that Swiss Guard is the Vatican military, but it's not exactly, <laughs> you know, something along those okay. lines. Okay. You know. Makes a little bit more sense. I think it, I think it might be in a little more that way. sense. Now that you put it in those terms, yes. Right. Now, the clergy, the senior clergy throughout England, including the archbishops, were not fans of the Beaumont family or their increase in wealth and power. And eventually, the one of the Beaumonts, the Beaumont twins, would become one of the richest landowners in the country. And they did not like that these new earls were having more wealth and control than the archbishops. And in June of 1139, Stephen actually initiated a fight between a man named Alan of Brittany and several of the bishop's men, which gave Stephen the opportunity to actually arrest the bishops that he believed were plotting against him, and then also forfeited all of their lands to him. So they were also left with no lands and no power. And this, of course, did not sit well with the senior English clergy, as well as his own brother, Henry, who, again, is the Bishop of Winchester. And there was actually an appeal to the Pope by Henry, but it was actually unsuccessful. And this, though, severed the threat for Stephen in terms of claims to the throne. It damaged his relationships with the senior clergy in England, and particularly his brother, Henry. 
And by 1139, Matilda's army had actually crossed into England, settled into Sussex, and thus began a, the full, the, 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 the meat, essentially, of the anarchy. So, in terms of the last few years of Stephen's reign, his wife, Matilda, who, as I mentioned, had been very instrumental in helping her husband during the anarchy and incredibly instrumental, as we'll get into in the next couple episodes, died of a fever in 1152, as did Stephen's older brother, Theobald. Same year. The following year, Stephen's heir and beloved son, Eustace, died, leaving Stephen without any direct or apparent heirs, as well as not a lot of close family left. Starting in 1153, Stephen had to uh, had begun to have even more trouble, because he didn't already have enough trouble, with the church and the clergy. When appointments opened up, he wanted to fill them with friends and close family. But the church, of course, wanting more autonomy from the royals, wanted to fill them with their own loyalists. So eventually, Pope Eugene III had to get involved, and he settled the matter in the favor of the clergy, of course. Now, a month before Eustace died, Stephen and King Henry II, or sorry, I guess uh, well, Stephen and Matilda's son Henry, who would become King Henry II, had actually begun negotiations to end the anarchy and set up Henry as his successor. And Stephen had his remaining son William denounce his claim to the throne once Eustace had died, and uh, a having his son William swear loyalty to the new king, Henry II. And apparently, Henry and Stephen sealed this treaty, which I believe was the Treaty of Wallingford, we'll get into it, with something called a kiss of peace in the Winchester Cathedral. Apparently, that's a long-standing Catholic tradition of two, two major houses of feuds coming together and literally... It's like a peace tree, but you're sharing a kiss inside of a holy house, as in like like a shaking a hand to end in, uh, to for an agreement kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so apparently Henry, uh, Matilda's son, and Stephen uh, agreed on their negotiations by sealing it with a kiss of peace. Okie doke. Mm-hmm. And in order to reassure his barons and nobles of his choice of successor being Henry, Stephen traveled around the country afterwards with various writs proclaiming that Henry would be the next king. And it's actually possible that by the summer of 1154, Stephen might have already been fairly ill. We're not quite sure. But that same time, he traveled to Dover to meet with the Count of Flanders. And not long after he went to Dover, he fell ill with apparently some kind of stomach disease or stomach issues, and then passed away later on October 25th of 1154. And he would be buried at Faversham Abbey alongside his wife, Matilda, and his beloved son, Eustace. Kind of a sad ending, but... Well, he had nearly 20 years on the throne. Yeah, but... All of it one, fighting. I was going to say, all of it was, like, fraught with pain. Heartache, pain, children dying, uh, money running out. Yeah, it was a very troubled reign, even if it was a fairly long reign, for, at least for that time. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's definitely a long reign for the, the time that it is we're talking about, the time yeah. period. Right. 20 years, I mean, that's, that's quite a bit for that time. And it's also, considering how much he was fighting, that's, that's quite a feat to have survived that whole time. Well, keep in mind, too, that he had his son, William, denounce his claim to the throne. And what would happen as soon as his father died and Henry took the throne, William apparently was allegedly 
assassinating or intentionally and on a plot to have Henry II assassinated just within months after his coronation. Which does not bode well for Henry. No, but Henry survived and William then soon died. Yes. And then Henry had to put up with his wife, <laughs> um, Eleanor, beloved wife Eleanor, uh, um, and her <laughs> her quote-unquote war with his mother Matilda. <laughs> but yeah. that's a whole different story again. That might be a separate episode. Two very strong-willed women. Oh, that's an understatement. That is such an understatement right there. I mean, we're talking about Empress Matilda, who was super strong in her own convictions and beliefs. Like, never, ever did she question her belief in her right to rule. And then you have... Well, not only that, she was Empress, so she also, being Empress, puts her above many of the men of her time, because it was a title that not very many, like, almost nobody ever held yeah. unless you were connected to the Holy Roman Emperor through marriage. Right, exactly. But she took that to heart, meaning I am above everybody. Well, that's also how she was like, that's what she was taught while she was Empress. Well, right. Well, she literally was Empress in the sense of she was married to the Holy Roman Emperor. And she was able to take that title with her after his death. Even she retained that title until her own death. Oh, she wouldn't which, let that go. She didn't want to become the Count of uh, Countess of Anjou. She never took that title. No, no. Why would you? Why would she like? She didn't even want to marry Geoffrey in the first place because he's a count and she was an empress. But that, in the same sense, I am the empress of all the Romans. I should also be the queen of England. Yeah, that was kind of. I, I believe that was. I, I would chalk that up to her her reasoning on that for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, in that case, we shall end this episode. I have nothing left on Stephen. Not until we start talking about full-on about the anarchy. Oh, uh, yeah, there's a reason that I kept it short and sweet. It's because I want to go into detail in the next next episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's going to be fun. 18 years of infighting. We're going to have <laughs> But in that case... That'll do for this episode of History Explains It All, where we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all. <laughs> Bye. Bye.